Welcome to the Gingsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Hi there. How we doing? I don't know if that was a good response, a bad response. I'm praying for you. Either way. Um, so um, the first, my first ministry job was at a church in Missouri, and we had a tradi- uh, tradition on Sunday evenings uh, after our high school gathering that we would go out for ice cream, go to Dairy Queen for ice cream, totally self-serving tradition. I love ice cream. I'm like, ooh, the students will love this. And so let's go to ice cream. So we did that on Sunday evenings. One Sunday evening, I'm hanging out with my students, chatting. Another group comes in. It was very clear that they had also just come from church by the way they were dressed. It was, it, they were definitely from a more formal church than I was from. I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. They were dressed very, very nicely. So they come in and they get themselves settled at their tables. And then uh, one young man, he's probably about 10 years old, comes walking over to my table and sets something on the table and walks up to the counter. I thought, well, that's interesting. And I looked down, and it was a $20 bill. And I, I thought, I, do I look that bad? Like, what's the deal? And then I realized it wasn't a $20 bill. It was a gospel tract designed to look like a $20 bill. Um, if you don't know what a gospel tract is, it's just like a little pamphlet uh, that people will sometimes use in order to talk, talk to people about Jesus. And this one just happened to look like a $20 bill. And I thought, that's, that's funny. He picked a pastor to give it to. That's hilarious, <laughs> right? <laughs> well done, sir. So, um, so when he starts coming back to his table, I was like, hey, buddy, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. He comes over to my table, and I was like, hey, why don't you hang on to this and give it to someone else. Uh, I'm a Christian. As a matter of fact, I'm a pastor. These are, these are some of my students here. So why don't you hang on to this? And then he looked at me. And he looked at me like this. Like he looked me up and down, legitimately up and down. And I could see his wheels turning. He's thinking, ain't no way you're a pastor. Pastors don't dress that way. And I could see that happening. I'm like, Seriously, dude, I'm a pastor. Guys, am I your pastor? They're like, yeah. Like, see, see I'm their pastor. Why don't you take it to someone else? He just walked away like this. Like. And I was like, dude, really? I felt super judged at that moment. Well, my name is Fitz. I'm the family ministry pastor here. And if I'm honest, I've got some of that 10-year-old boy in me too. Except for me, it usually comes out when I'm driving. Uh... <laughs> I was uh, driving the other day down 75, and this, this dude came flying up on my tail. Like, I thought he was going to come into the bed of the truck. I think it was a dude. I don't know. He's going too fast. Came flying up, and just at the last second, zipped over to the next lane, and then zipped in front of me and took off. It was like Han Solo when he hit, like, hyperspace the first time. Everything was just like a blur, right? My first thought was not, oh, there must be an emergency. I should pray. (laughs) 
It was not, he must have gotten a call from his wife that the baby's coming. It was not that there's like, that he was involved in some race across the country for a million dollars. My first thought was, what a giant jerk face. You nearly killed both of us. We're in a series of uh, tough questions, hot topics of the Christian faith, and today's topic is a stumbling block for a lot of people who would not claim to be Christians or claim to follow Jesus. There was a study composed in 2022 by the Episcopal Church, and it found that 54% of respondents who were outside of the church, who were non-religious, would describe Christians as judgmental. And it might be a surprise to you if you've been a Christian a long time, you're like, wait a minute, all the Christians I know are compassionate and and generous and loving. And and in fact, those who identified as Christians describe Christians in that way too. So there's a disconnect between people who don't follow Jesus and those who do follow Jesus on how we come across. So the question I want to talk about today is why are Christians so judgmental? Dennis said, I need you to pick a a tough topic. I picked this one. He came at me like three times like, dude, are you sure? (laughs) Like, yeah, are you really, really sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm really, really sure. So how did we get to the point where the majority of people who are outside of the faith in Jesus Christ, who don't have a connection to Jesus, by and large say that those of us who do are judgmental? Well, I want to rewind 2,000 years ago to a statement made by Jesus himself. Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, his closest friends, his closest followers. He had just gotten done sharing with them, hey guys, listen, here's the deal. I'm getting ready to die. I'm going away, which would be terribly shocking to them. They've given up their lives for him, but he tried to encourage them, and he said, look, look, here's the deal. I'm going to go away to be with God the Father. I'm going to prepare a place but I'm also gonna prepare one for you too. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you come and be with me. And Thomas says to him, Thomas pushes back on Jesus. He says, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know where you are going. How can we possibly know the way? How can we know that? We don't know what you're doing. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And he, here's where Jesus makes a statement that for those of us who follow him is really reassuring. And those who don't follow him can be really off-putting, and the way that we handle it can come across as as judgmental. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus reassures Thomas and the other disciples and us today that he is the way to God. God. You want to know God? It's through Jesus. It's not one of six or seven ways. It's not one of multiple paradigms. I am the way, period, the end. And many of you are here today, and many of you are joining us online because you've examined it, and you found this to be true. You've examined the evidence you've studied, and you found this to be true. And for others of you, the evidence is the kind that David wrote about in the Psalms when he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. You followed Jesus, you tested God, and you found out God is good. Jesus is good. Jesus is loving to me. And so you've tested it out, and you've discovered that Jesus is the way. 
Now, when you know something to be true, when you found something that is right, you want to make sure others know about it, right? You want to share that good news with someone else. Um, I used to live in Memphis, and I love living there. I've been back here for four years. Whenever anyone goes to Memphis, one of the things I love to do is tell them everything they need to do in Memphis. And that happened recently. Pastor Dennis took a trip to Arkansas. He texted me, said, hey, Fitz, I'm going through Memphis. I'm going to the Civil Rights Museum. Where do I get good barbecue? I'm like, let's go. I said, okay, good job doing the Civil Rights Museum because it's awesome. Go to Central Barbecue, best barbecue in the city. Send. And then I sent another unsolicited text. And if you need donuts, go to Gibson's. And if you need fried chicken, go to Gus's. If you need a good burger, go to Babalu. If you need good seafood, go to Soul Food Cafe. If you need an, a snow cone, go to Jerry's. And make sure you check out the Bass Pro Shop and the Big Shiny Pyramid because it's silly. Send. It, I just had this good news and I wanted to share it with others. You know what that's called? Evangelism. I was a Memphis evangelist. Evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion, which simply means good news. And now evangelism has received a bad rap in our culture today, but that's one of our primary roles to share the good news. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you. It's our responsibility, it's our privilege to share good news with those who haven't heard about it. So how did it go south? How did it get to the point that we, as a people who have received this great gift, whose job it is to share with others, are viewed as judgmental as a result? So I want to share with you three possible reasons why we've gotten to this point, and then so we don't end on a super down note, give you three questions that you can use to approach conversations in the future. So why are Christians judgmental? First, we feel the need to be right. We feel the need to be right. Quick, uh, quick poll, uh, raise your hand for this. How many of you enjoy being wrong? There was a hand raised, but I think she was just putting her coat on. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, uh, we need to talk. Um, yeah, nobody likes being wrong. We like being right, whether it's about our favorite team or restaurant or anything like that. When we've discovered something to be true and right, we like to be right and we like to have the evidence to back it up. On January 1st, 2015, the Ohio State University beat Alabama in the college football playoffs to go to the national championship. And when that happened, I was working um, in Memphis and I was on a retreat with students in Mississippi, keep in mind, deep in the heart of SEC country, okay? Not hospitable to Buckeyes fans. So I got to watch the game at the camp director's house. Next morning, I am just... I am just on cloud nine. I'm like, this is the best. And I'm walking down to breakfast. And as I do, a student comes out of his cab and walks up to me. He doesn't say, good morning, Fitz. How did you sleep? How are you, sir? He looks at me and says, the Buckeyes got lucky. <laughs> Let's just say I put him on blast, okay? Lucky, we beat you with our third string quarterback. You're like, your team, Alabama, they haven't given up any rushing yards all year. Remember that run that Ezekiel Elliott had, 85 yards through the heart of the South? Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Our offense did this, Cardale Jones did this, the defense did it, like I blasted him. And he was 
very sorry he said anything. <laughs> but we, we got, we, it was funny though, we got to breakfast and he went over to one of his buddies and he said, go tell Fitz that the Buckeyes got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got to do it again. It was very fun. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is something that we've given our lives to, portions of our lives to. You've given your Sunday mornings to it. You've given your money to the fact that you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You've given your time in serving others. You've given, you've given uh, time to a life group. You've given the quiet hours of your morning reading your Bible and praying. You don't want to be wrong. You want to be right about this. But here's the thing. We are convinced that we're right, and there's nothing wrong with being right. The problem comes when I treat others the way that I treated that student about the Buckeyes. We believe in our heart of hearts that we are right about Jesus, and we feel the need to have others at least respect our, our beliefs about that, but actually that's probably stating it too lightly. We need them to believe that we're right, and they need to be right too. We need to see that they're wrong and that we're right. We need to convert them, admit the shortcomings in their own belief system, and that can come across as what? Judgmental. Noted Indian activist Mahatma Gandhi was once quoted as saying, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And if he were alive today and to see how we sometimes put people on blast for their beliefs, I think you might say the same thing. So we feel the need to be right. Another reason is fear. Fear. It's closely related to the first one. There are a myriad of things in our culture that are in flux that could potentially cause concern. It feels like our collective morality, our collective ethic is slipping away in some way, shape, or form. I'm not gonna mention any examples because I don't like getting emails. But if you want to send one, the email address is pastordennis at kingisburg.org. Anyway, uh, it's not even his real email, so there. Anyway, I was, uh, I, was, I was recently at a Buckeyes game doing concessions, and it was a fascinating uh, stand. It was powered by Amazon. It was a beverage thing with lots of coolers. And here's how it worked. You walked in the one side, you, you scanned your debit card or credit card, you walked up, you grabbed whatever beverages you want, and then you got to the end and there were doors and you just walked out. Like there, there was no cashier at the end or anything like that. See, there were sensors and cameras in the ceiling that, that saw you and picked up whatever it was that you pulled out of the cooler and only charged you for those things. And so I got to stand near the exit and I got to just watch the looks on people's faces because they didn't know how to handle this. They're walking up to the exit with their drinks going. And I would just look at them and go, just walk out. And they'd be like, but how, how do they know what I took? And I'd look at them and say, oh, they know. And it was equal parts amazement and terror on their faces. And AI can be a little bit frightening, 
But as I was driving home, I got to think about all the other things in our culture and our society that have scared us that have turned out to be maybe not a big deal. The printing press. Did you know that religious leaders condemned books printed on a printing press and the Pope threatened to excommunicate anyone who printed books on the printing press? Radio. That was accused of distracting children from reading and diminishing performance in school. The phone, not the one that's in your pocket or your purse, but the one that was attached to the wall, people were scared that they would tear apart the fabric of society by removing the need for face-to-face -face interaction. And now you don't even use the phone function on your phone. Um, email. CNN ran an article in 2005 that email hurts the IQ more than marijuana. I might agree with that one. Even Socrates railed against the written word, saying it would contribute to forgetfulness. And I won't even mention the fact that your Amazon Echo is listening to you at all times. I just freaked you out, didn't I? Some of you are going to go home and like, we're throwing this thing away. Okay. And when we're scared... We have one of three responses, fight, flight, or freeze. And when we're talking about our beliefs, those things that are core to us, it usually comes out as fight. When we get scared, we want to fight about it. And that comes across as judgmental. Perhaps we would do well to remember that the most often repeated command in all of the Bible is do not fear. Do not fear. Now, back in the uh, masking days of uh, the pandemic, I was leading the student ministries, y YG and Bible study, and we'd been back together for several months, and we had a thing on Wednesday evening that started with pizza on the patio of the avenue, and I was staying there, students are showing up, and a, and a van pulled up, mom dropped two girls off, and they start walking up, and I recognized the one girl, the other girl I didn't know, and, but I couldn't come up with the first girl's name. And so, because I'm old. And, and so I turned around to Tina, uh, my assistant. I'm like, hey, Tina, help me out. I need names here. And she said, oh, that girl is such and such. And then she named, she named the other girl that I didn't know, which was a girl that came to Bible study every Sunday morning. And I was like, what? She says, yeah. I'm like, no, it's not. And as she got closer, she put her mask on. And I was like, oh, that's Logan. The girl that she said it was. See, my mind had completed the picture of her face, but I had done it completely wrong. And isn't that our experience with people? We have a limited perspective, and that's the third reason. We have a limited perspective on who they are and what they believe, and it's based on one small portion of who they are. They believe this specific thing. They, they have this one particular practice and we build a complete picture of who they are based on that one thing. The problem is, more often than not, it's wrong. It's wrong. There's no way I can take one aspect of who you are, one conversation we've had, one comment you made on Facebook, one person you voted for, and paint a complete picture of who you are. Humans are far too complex for that. And so what if instead of painting this complete picture, we paused and said, maybe there's more to their story than this one thing that's getting under my skin. Maybe I need to take time to learn more about that individual. 
than to just make up a story about who they are. Parker Palmer, an author, an educator, and activist, said, the more we know about another person's story, the harder it is to hate or harm that person, and I would add to that list, to judge them as well. So what then? Do, do we just let things go? Do we just let people do whatever they want? Do we just let people believe whatever they want? How are we supposed to make disciples if we're in danger of coming across as judgmental when we talk to people about things. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't say anything. Like we've been given this gift and we're supposed to share it with others. It's our responsibility. It's sort of like we're walking a tightrope. John writes that Jesus came in grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. And so we're, we're on this tightrope. And on the one side is truth. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We believe other things. I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, dot, 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 the Apostles' Creed. There are things we believe to be true. And on the other side, we have grace, unmerited favor, undeserved love and acceptance. So how do we balance these? How do we speak the truth, but in a way that communicates grace, not judgment? Well, I want to suggest three questions to you that we can ask ourselves as we move forward in these conversations. First question is, what is my relationship to the individual? What is my relationship to the individual? I have uh, four kids, and on a very, very rare occasion they can act like a jack wagon. Um, and sorry, Hannah, Colin, my bad. Uh, but he, here's the reason. They come across it naturally. They're human. You do it too. But when they do, when they do something that I consider to be wrong, sinful, bad, whatever, I can pull them aside and say, dude, you done messed up. This is no way to act. This is no way to behave. This is no way to speak, whatever the case might be. Now, down at the end of my street, there may be another kid that I've seen once or twice. I've driven by him on the street, don't know his name, anything like that. If I see him doing something that I consider to be bad for him, unless it's threatening to harm him or someone else or uh, against the law, I'm not going to pull that kid aside and say, dude, you done messed up. Why is that? I don't have the relationship I have the relationship with my kids. I've earned the right to say something to them. Jesus did not address everyone in the same way. A woman was brought to him, caught in adultery, caught in the act of sin. Jesus didn't rebuke her. He rebuked those who were accusing her, didn't he? And once they went off, what was the first thing he said? He said, I don't condemn you. She needed love, she needed grace, she needed mercy, and he met her where he needed, where she needed him to be, where she needed to be met. Now, he did say, go and sin no more, but he did it in a way, in a way that communicated care and compassion and love. This same Jesus called out the Pharisees and the law keepers by saying, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves will not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Slightly different tone, right? I don't condemn you. You hypocrites came from the same person. But in the first case, he was addressing someone that needed care and concern and love and mercy and grace. That was the relationship that was there. And in the other, he was addressing a group of people whose responsibility it was to connect people to God and they were abusing that responsibility. So he spoke the truth to power. So our relationship can help us to determine how to address someone's behavior or their beliefs. So what's my relationship? Second question is, what is my goal? What is my goal? Go back to the example of my kids. When I know that they're doing something that I would consider uh, to be wrong or sinful and I address it, my goal is not to be right. I don't want them to go away from that conversation saying, Father sure presented a solid case on why setting the neighbor's dog on fire is wrong. The way he broke it down in the original language was stunning, and that PowerPoint presentation was legit. I am now convinced that my father is right. I don't want to be right. But I love them, and I want what's best for them. And I believe that following Jesus is the best life imaginable. So if they're straying off of that journey, I'm going to lovingly bring them back. Not so they'll think I'm right. So that they'll experience the love of Jesus through me. Jesus tells his disciples, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you are right. It doesn't say that. If you're my disciples, if you love one another. Love is our calling card, and it should be our guide as we approach correction. That doesn't mean we overlook sin. That can be the most loving thing that we do in someone else's life. But again, it goes back to the relationship that we have with the individual. And then finally, how am I approaching the conversation Paul, one of the greatest leaders of the Christian faith, probably one of the most outspoken, wrote to Timothy at one point, and he talked to him about the importance of Scripture as far as leading someone along and correcting them and teaching them. He writes, every Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character. Paul, while writing the Bible, talks about the value of the Bible in addressing uh, uh, concerns in others' lives, discipling others, encouraging them to follow Jesus and correcting them when they've strayed off the path. But a few verses before that, Paul tells them how to go about those conversations. He says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Not quarrelsome, kind, not resentful, gentle, hopeful that God will lead them to repentance, not putting someone on blast. Elsewhere, Paul also writes, let your conversation be always filled with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
We come at conversations with humility and grace and gentleness. Why? Because we want to lead them further into their relationship with Jesus, not to batter them into it. Friends, we've got an incredible privilege. We, we have experienced life through Jesus and we get to share it with others. What a gift that is. What a privilege that is. So may God grant us grace to do it in a way that draws others to him because they have seen the love of God in Christ Jesus through us and they've seen that that's the best way to live. And Jesus showed us what that grace looks like on the night he was betrayed. He knew that everyone was gonna fall away and yet he welcomed them to the table Man, I, I was reflecting this morning about communion when I was a, a teenager. It was a scary thing. I was terrified to come and receive communion because we always talked about receiving it in an unworthy manner. And I would sit there and just think and think and think and be like, did I say anything wrong this week? Did I think anything wrong? Did I do anything wrong? Am I missing anything? Because I didn't want to get punished and Jesus knew every one of his followers around that table would go away. And you know what he said to them? <laughs> Let's eat. I want to be with you. He didn't judge them for what they were going to do. He said, let's share a meal together because I want you with me. And Jesus says that to you today. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus gathered those friends, Jesus gathered those followers, and he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, and it's broken for you. Do this as often in remembrance of me. And then when they had finished dinner, he took a cup of wine, juice, and when he had given thanks, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often in remembrance of me. And so now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come upon these simple gifts of bread and wine so that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ because we need more of that that we might be the body of Christ in the world, redeemed by his blood and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org.